0: Jordan is on best. Harper's on
1: Miller. in the the it. Just a, Here's a long three by all. Holiday. Shot clock down to six. A long
0: three.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Indie Corners podcast. I am your host, Mark Schindler. Uh, recording on Sunday today. It is a pretty gross day. I don't know what it's like in Indiana, but uh, before we get going, uh, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that really helps us out, makes the show a little bit bigger and, and more exposed. And then you can let me know what you like, dislike, what you want to hear more of. And uh, you know, I do this show for you guys, so I'd love to hear your feedback. Um, and you know, most importantly, getting into the episode today.
0: Join today from Setting the Pace, my good friend Alex Gold. Alex, how are you doing today, man? Mark, I'm doing good, man. And yeah, it's not much better weather here wise. I was actually talking with Kent Sterling about this before we recorded today. And this weather gives me headaches. I don't I don't know what it is, but it's just like the the gray skies yep. messes with my eyes or something. and I get really bad headaches. So yeah, I, I've definitely taken some Advil, but I'm feeling better. And it's just it's cold out. It's just a day you want to stay inside and, and watch football and just relax.
1: Yeah, it sounds nice. But then my dog decides that we're going to go out on a walk in the middle of the rain. So, you know, that's, <laughs>
0: yeah, that's how my day's right. gone so
1: far. But it's going all right. We can talk about some basketball. So, Absol- I have a, absolutely. So a couple quick hitters for you today. My first one, um, well, actually, they'll probably be more drawn out. This one is quick, though. Um, I just found this out this week and I found it a very interesting tidbit that I had never heard of before. Um, I'm sure you may know this, but. Did you know that Quinn Buckner was the head coach of an NBA team before he got into broadcasting?
0: I kind of knew about it, but I really didn't know much. No. Uh, about uh, which his team? Career. Do you know
1: which team it was. I I don't even know. Was it the Pacers? It was the Dallas Mavericks actually. Okay. Yeah, I think it was in between right before they hired Don Nelson. He was
0: there. Okay. Yeah, I know he he didn't coach very long though, did he? Yeah, it was one season. And it was not wow. a good
1: season. I think they went like seventeen and sixty five. Yeah, something like that. yeah. So it was a short lived coaching stint <laughs> for Quinn. But uh, I found that out. This is hope you know. I just realized that comes off a little bit poorly. That's not meant to dog Quinn. I think he's like he's awesome. But yeah, he's great a, on
0: great on TV. Talks a little too much, but uh, you know he doesn't have to worry about you don't have to worry about filling you know space with him. Yeah. especially with no fans. That's just Quinn. But, no, he's very educated. He makes a lot of good points uh, throughout the game, and uh, he'll repeat those points quite a bit. But, I mean, Quinn Buckner, you know, nice guy to have here for sure. I, I, I like having him on color commentary. It could be a lot worse. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so, obviously,
1: you know, I talk to you. I feel like we talk pretty much every day. So, I feel, it almost feels <laughs> like we're doing a podcast every day. Yeah. We're always bouncing our thoughts off each other. Um, but, you know, figuring since it's in podcast format, I was talking to Tony on here last week. So I figured, let's start off talking about, uh, I know a little bit your thoughts on on the team already. Uh, but I'd like to know just how how the last couple of weeks and how everything is uh, shaped out with, you know, since the team has has has, has gone off. after after firing Nate Mcmillan, um, I think I felt like things were in a very positive direction. Now it feels different. Not like I think it's uh, like the sky is falling or anything, but I think uh, obviously everything that's gone down with Vic and um, Vic and Vic and also Vic. I I just wonder what your thoughts are on on where the team is at right now and and how you feel about how things are going in the offseason.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I think that the team is still like what I felt like they've been all year long, and that's a couple pieces away from being a serious title contender. Like, you know, it's a good roster. They got good pieces. They can be competitive, but how competitive can they be? Like, obviously, no Sabonis, no Lamb for the playoffs. Surely hurt this team. But they they went up against Miami, who was just playing great, and Miami's in the finals for a reason. They've been playing fantastic basketball, and the Pacers just, without Victor Oladipo being the guy he was two years ago, they just don't have that that level of competitiveness that that they need to really compete. So, yeah, Vic, you know, I mean, a lot of rumors were swirling around during that time. You know, he had. You know, predetermined that he was actually going to tell the uh, the media with Shams on July 3rd that he was, you know, not going to be playing. So it was it wasn't really a news flash. It was more of he had premeditated that and he wanted people to be talking about him. And so what I've heard from a lot of different reporters is basically Vic was jealous of T.J. Warren getting all that publicity in the bubble. T.J. Warren being the guy, it, it rubbed Vic the wrong way. And then, I, of course, Jay Michael came on our podcast. That was kind of one that exploded. People were talking about it. Justin Holiday even addressed the rumors on Instagram saying that it wasn't true. But long story short, I mean, I don't think Jay would just put out anything just to put yeah. out anything. I, I, I trust Jay. He's pretty, you know, he, he does a good job with his work. And I, don't, and I don't think people, you know, give him enough credit for doing that because we talked off air quite a bit. And, you know, he basically just said, I don't get any of my stuff from the Pacers. He said, I get it from other people. And I had to prove that basically, give me a chance to show you that I can get connections with other people. And so really, I just think Oladipo at this point has has proven, you know, to be a bit of a a guy that is, you know, self-absorbed with what's going on in his world. He's got a big free agency coming up next year, not this coming season, but the year after. So he's just got to do what's best for him. And personally, I mean, he wants to win big. It's kind of what he said. So I don't think that's going to happen with the Pacers and I think all the signs are pointing to him not being a part of those franchise for much longer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's interesting. I'm still trying to figure out my thoughts on everything and I I I think I'm I definitely lean more towards player empowerment and um, but I think this is it's a little different, you know, in the way that he he's handled some things and obviously we don't know everything that's going on. We're not in the locker room. We're not with Vic at all moments, you know, kind of understanding what's what's going on in his perspective. Um, right. But I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, Jay is, is not just putting stuff out there to put it out there. Um, So <laughs> I it's, uh, it's, 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 it's murky. I think I've used that word like 8,000 times over the last five podcasts, just talking about how the off season has gone so far. Um, But overall, I think my main point is, I think we got to remain pretty positive about how things are going. You know, I think, I, I don't know what, what your thoughts are immediately on it, but I think in my opinion, the firing of Nate McMillan, well, at the time, uh, it didn't. It, it's not like it didn't make sense to me, but obviously, after everything came out about, um, you know, his relationship with the players and how they felt about him, I think um, that really changed my mind and, and helped me understand. Okay, yeah, I, I get not giving Nate another year to try things out. Um, and I think, mm-hmm. to me too, uh, knowing that you know Herb Simon was part of the main reason that Nate McMillan uh, was eventually pushed out. Uh, I think it gives me, I don't want to say hope, you know, because I'm not I'm not saying I'm, I don't really care to be hopeful. I think it's just it's basketball. Right. Right, um, right. But I think it definitely makes me feel like this team is going in a much different direction in trying to to reach that next level. That's not just a first or second round team.
0: Right. And I mean, a lot of people with name McMillan are a little bit unfair. Yeah. And I will say this because. I was considered a Nate defender just because I said I understand why he was extended. Uh, yes, I'm sure someone go- who
1: always calls you a Nate defender
0: on Twitter. Right, <laughs> right, right. So it is what it is. Like, I don't even care. Like, Nate was a good basketball coach. The team did really well, yep. and they exceeded expectations with him in there. Now, was he the guy that get them into the promised land? Absolutely not. He's got his limitations as a coach, but he didn't do anything that warranted being fired. And, you know, I understand the frustration of losing to the playoffs, but you got to you got to you know, um, 65% Victor Lodipo, you got no Sabonis, you got no Lamb. What do you expect? I mean, the Miami Heat are really good, and they've got a better coach. So now the Pacers have put themselves in a position to go out there and find that guy to maybe, you know, change things up, to be a little bit more diverse on the X's and O's side of things. And, you know, McMillan, I mean, as, you know, as laid back as he was in his demeanor, you know, he, he really didn't get too involved in the player's, you know, drama inside the locker room. He just let them handle things internally and didn't really step in and say much. So I, I find that intriguing, but really when it comes down to it, you know, this whole coaching thing, it's, it's a big decision for Kevin Pritchard. He's going to have to make sure he makes the right decision because Mark Monteith put out yesterday on social media, I believe it was that the whole Nate taking over Vogel's position was Kevin Pritchard driven because they knew he was going to be stepping in for Larry when he stepped down that next year. So Really, I, I just think you know when it comes to when it comes to Nate McMillan, uh, good guy, good coach, but they need a new voice. And I think with them going in a new direction, it's just the step, it's just the start of many more moves that I think they're going to make. Now, I don't know, you know, everything's speculating right now around Turner and Oladipo, but I'm sure there's other things that could happen as well that we don't even see coming. So I just, it's very, it's very intriguing to be a pacer fan, but yeah, I think you need to be optimistic because you still got Sabonis, You still got Brogdon and you got a GM who's, you know, done a pretty good job of building a roster that's competitive. Yeah, definitely. And so that takes me with all, there's like so many directions
1: we can go off that, but yeah, the first sorry. one I would ask, <laughs> no, you're good. That's, that's great. I mean, I, uh, one of the first things I had somebody actually tell me the other day, and I've seen this a couple of times that they thought Brogdon had a disappointing first season as a pacer. And one of the things that I just like think right away, I think we get way too invested with with numbers and shooting percentages and the way that everything's built. And I am more of an analytical person with how I look at basketball. We've talked about that off air before. And I think you got to look at the context of everything. I mean, I don't know what your expectations were for Malcolm coming in, um, but I frankly was a little bit worried with uh, with Vic obviously missing so much of the season. Um, knowing that before going in, I didn't know Malcolm was going to be able to be this level of a driver of the offense. I mean, because I knew yeah. what he did in, in Milwaukee is, is kind of a secondary ball handler and, and just more of an off ball guy. Um, but what he did, I mean, the first 20 games of the season, he looked like an all star before yeah. he had his first injury. That kind of set him back a little bit. Um, and well, I think there were some issues with his defense. Part of that is because he was put in tough, tough situations as a defender. He's not good at defending smaller players. Right. Doesn't have the uh, the athleticism to do that, um, but I think the in my opinion I look at it, I think he had a really good season minus the injuries.
0: Yeah, I mean he's six foot six, two hundred thirty pounds. You know, a point guard playing that position with that you know lack of foot speed is not ideal in today's NBA, right? I mean we don't see a lot of point guards like that. I mean even LeBron James for as big as he is playing point guard for the Lakers, you know the size is the problem. I mean he's got the speed. And I think Brogdon's a really smart player. I think that we saw he was more efficient when he was in Milwaukee as a secondary ball handler and Mm -hmm. a, you know, an off ball guy a little bit more, but I just think he got so many injuries that he didn't really get consistency. Like the, the, the hand injury, the wrist injury or the finger injury, whatever it was, you know, I mean, that really, I think, affected a shot. There's no doubt yeah. about that in my mind. And then, of course, the foot issues that he's had. And then I think it was a groin that he had. Then he had COVID. I mean, the guy went through like 10 different injuries this season. So, like, yeah, I mean, the fact that he had to battle so much, is it's not promising if you're wanting, you know, stability and durability for, for a position at the point guard. But I think that, you know, the, the whole plan was they wanted to keep Vic long term here. And we saw that Vic was pretty effective with the ball in his hands. So I don't think that it was necessarily that Brogdon was going to be just the prime ball handler 24 7, but that's how McMillan runs his offense. I mean, the point guard touched the ball almost every single time. So this would have given Victor a chance to let Malcolm play off the ball and Victor on the ball, I think, if they would have played together. So really for me, Mark, I just, I like, I like Brogdon. I don't think it's a disappointing season, but I, I think when you look at Brogdon, I mean, he's, probably top 15, top 20 in point guards in the NBA Um, struggles. Like you said, really bad with small guys like Kimball Walker kills him because he's so quick. And I just don't think that's the perfect guy for him to guard. I think he's better at guarding twos and threes Mm -hmm. because that's just more his body size and it's going to be difficult for him. So, you know, whatever the decision they go with, as far as who they play next to him, it's got to be smart because Aaron Holliday gave them that opportunity for him to play against bigger guys. And, you know, now with whoever they bring in at the shooting guard position and what what they do with their roster, I'm intrigued to see who Malcolm guards going forward. But I mean, if he's going to have to be guarding the Kyries and the and the Kimbas and that kind of thing, that's not his. That's not his strong suit. So I like him a lot, but he reminds me a lot of Andre Miller. I'll just put that out there. Really? What, what do you mean, Andre? Oh, in terms yeah. of the way he drives to the rim? Yeah, just because they're build, they're bigger guys that aren't super athletic. Like they use their sizes and their and their basketball smarts a little Mm -hmm. bit more to to their advantage. And maybe he's a little bit better shooter than Andre, but just, just, you know, think. I mean, Andre had a great career, very under under the radar. And I think Brogdon's kind of the same way. Like, Brogdon might never make an all-star team, but I think he's, you know, a top 50 player. There's no doubt about that. Yeah,
1: I think he'll always be in the conversation, especially if he continues to do some of the things he did. Uh, this year. And I'm excited for him to get off ball more because I think that'll be yeah. great for him. He needs um, to do that. Yes. Much less you were the one who put out the, uh, the video and I think it was in game four, game three or game <laughs> four when he, uh, he dribbled like 37 times in 14 seconds or something like that. Yeah. It was, uh, it was the
0: entire possession he had like, and I think it started like after he crossed the half court line. Yeah, so it was ugly, man. It was over 30 dribbles, 30 yeah. dribbles in that possession. It's just like, uh, but that was a lot of McMillan's offense and I think the that's the driver die about.
1: offense is what
0: I've coined it. That, that was awful. That that was an, a really frustrating
1: playoff series to watch offensively. Yeah, it was it's interesting because I uh I don't know. I still I, you know I I want to go back and watch it just to see what I can take more from it, but at the same time I don't want to go back and watch it because I know what it looks like. Um yeah. but offensively, you just think about it. It's like I mean, I know that, that it, it, it's it was obviously suboptimal basketball, but you just think about how much was missing from the offense. And, and then you try to think about, well, how do you even uh, restructure an entire offense? When I mean, Sabonis was eighth in the league in touches this year. He's such yeah. an integral part to everything. Nobody on the team can screen except for him, essentially. I mean, Miles kind of can, yeah. uh, but it's still a work in progress. Uh, Goga made contact on a screen for the first time in in his rookie year on, in August. Yeah. Um so I mean it's it's, it's just it was uh, no matter how you look at it it's 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 interesting to see how they would have even made that a functioning offense but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but you know kind of going into the bonus direction a little bit not to not to hype myself up but I wrote an article about Thomas Bonus um and released it yesterday so if you have not read it I would Love for you to read it and get your feedback on it. Um, but one thing I want to talk about with Sabonis is how my thoughts have changed on him. Because I am actually on the record for a, on a podcast with Tom. I said that I would trade Demonis Sabonis for OG Ananobi. And after going back and really thinking about it, which, you know, talking about that and some of the feedback uh, I got from that, I think actually a lot of people agreed with me and I would not agree with myself now. Um, I'll ask you right away. What what would you do in that scenario before I I jump into my long? story? Would I but, rather have
0: Sabonis or Ananobi?
1: Yeah, uh, Sabonis.
0: I was very taken aback
1: when you said. That. I remember when you messaged me on Twitter about that. Yeah. Yes. So I, I what's went going, back, going
0: on, Mark? What's okay. happening?
1: Yeah, yeah. So that was over. <laughs> that was over a month ago, right? And that's uh, so I you know just in thinking about it and, and looking at everything, I think I had this idea in my head that that if Sabonis at his, at his most realized point was going to be like the focal point of the offense and everything had to revolve around him. Yeah, I think I looked at it the total wrong way, and so in going back through and, and writing what I did yesterday and putting all my thoughts together and really trying to establish things, I actually think the minus bonus is maybe the perfect floor raiser in the NBA and even ceiling raiser too, um, because well, a lot of things do circulate around him and what he does. Uh, in case you know people listening are not aware, there's this term called heliocentrism, which is basically a guy with 35 to 40% usage and shooters around him. So Atlanta um, and just having one guy who dominates the ball, uh, what the Rockets have done. Um, And so I thought about that in the terms of Sabonis and really Sabonis is kind of anti-heliocentric in a way because he does so much for the offense without even touching the ball or controlling the ball, I should say, because while he was uh, eighth in touches, he wasn't, that as high as you would think in usage and just so much of what he does is more as, as being like a connective tissue for the offense than being like a muscle. Um, and so I think as we saw in the playoffs, that's so much of what the team missed, having that guy who's constantly able to get you in the right matchups. Like you think about what he did for, for Malcolm Brogdon, T.J. McConnell, whoever was ball handling, he I mean, his screening and his angling on screens are he's probably one of the five best screeners in the NBA right now. Um, yeah. And his ability just to get guys open using his body, I, I think the team missed that incredibly. So I think I look at him, I don't think he's ever going to be a number one player. Um, and that's fine. I think he can still be the best player on the team. And even if he's not the best player on the team, um, what he does completely raises the, the ceiling of what a team can do on offense.
0: Yeah. And I agree with you. I think, you know, Sabonis is such a unique guy because the biggest knock on him is he's a terrible defender, right? And that's what everybody says. Well, you know, you talked about it, too. Like, his wingspan is not very large. So he's kind of built weird, but he's such a smart basketball player. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we kind of overlook that when we're looking at guys because offensively, I mean, the offense was a machine with him out there. Like, the Pacers, I mean, even though they probably didn't put up a ton of points and, and didn't put up a ton of threes and weren't maybe at the highest, you know, rating of offense throughout the year, Sabonis did so many great things for him by getting guys open. I mean, look how bad the bench suffered during the playoffs and in the bubble without him out there. I mean, you said it yourself, you know, he's the only guy on the team that can actually set screens. <laughs> and, you know, that is a huge part of basketball because dribble handoffs is what was what Nate McMillan did. I mean, Brogdon and, and Sabonis had that pick and roll down to a T. You know, I mean, they had perfected it and really, you know, had gotten a lot of chemistry there. I think Vic and Sabonis also really, you know, benefited from that. I think, you know, you can kind of look at some of the struggles Vic had in the playoffs as a, as an absence of Sabonis, because if Sabonis was there to create some of that space, that would give Oladipo a little bit more room to make that dribble that he needs to work on that hand a little bit better. You know, the biggest thing else with Sabonis too, negative wise is his three point shot. He doesn't shoot very many. And I I know you talked about it in your article, you said, you know, he's going to be able to get better at that. He's 24 years old. I think that whoever the new coach is, they're probably going to ask him to take more threes or at least work on his shot some more. Um, he creates so much separation with his shoulders, you know, down in the paint. I mean, I don't really think of him as a post-up guy a lot because I don't feel like they did a lot of back-to-the-basket back to, bas- back to the basket stuff with him. Mm. I mean, sure, there were some moments where they did it, but a lot of it was that dribble handoff, him kind of facilitating everything. So, really, with, with Sabonis, I mean – I get it. You know, he, he's got, he's a good post defender, but outside of, you know, rim protection, that kind of thing, how good can he be? What is his, what is his ceiling? I mean, I don't necessarily think that he can be, you know, a number one on a championship level team, but he can be someone you run your offense through and still be a really successful NBA team. Now they still need a Victor Oladipo type player, you know, from 2017, 2018 to surround him. But I think that he makes a team better especially on the offensive end with all the different assets that he brings to the table. Yeah, 100%. So in, in essence, this is my apology
1: to, to DeMondis Sabonis. Um, and I was completely wrong and I was way too obsessed with the idea of having a rim protector and guys who can play defense because I think well, we've, well, I mean, it's important to have rim protection. It's it is obviously important to have, uh, defenders, but I think there are ways to, to work around it. I mean, as we've seen with the Houston Rockets, I mean, I, I don't know if, Um, I mean, Robert Covington is an incredible weak side rim protector, which has helped them unlock that. But I mean, I think as we've seen, especially in the playoffs, having uh, the ability to run multiple schemes and do them well is almost not more important, but I think having the ability to just mix things up and keep changing things and, and, and throw new looks at, at your opponent is just as important as being really good at one thing.
0: Well, and I think you write up a good point with Covington, like, you know, if you if you do indeed trade Miles this offseason or make a move with him, trying to find somebody that can help, you know, protect the rim and that four position with Sabonis at the five, you know, I look at a team like Denver because we know Nikola Jokic is, you know, he doesn't get off the ground hardly at all. I don't even think his vertical is like two or three feet. The, the dude barely gets off the ground. I mean, I've seen him fight for rebounds amongst trees without leaving his feet. And, and you think, how do they, you know, their defense has some issues, obviously, with rim protection. But Jeremy Grant was phenomenal this season. Paul Millsap did a really good job as well defensively. So I think if you have really good perimeter defense and, and then you have a four that can, you know, because you talked about this in your article very well. You talked about how Turner bailed a lot of the poor perimeter defense of the Pacers out this year. So it's going to make the guys, if they do move on from Turner and they just keep Sabonis at the five, it, it is going to have to make those guys on the perimeter more accountable for not letting their guys get to the basket and not just funneling everything to Turner or uh, to Sabonis that uh, if, if they don't have Turner. So I really think, you know, Covington is somebody that's interesting that you could put next to Sabonis because of his ability to defend the rim and his ability to shoot the three. So I just, <laughs> you know, rim protection is important, but the way rosters are built is, is so unique in today's NBA. I mean, look at the team that's, you know, up two games and nothing in the finals right now. They've got Dwight Howard. You know, and Anthony Davis out there playing together, and we're not talking about Dwight Howard from ten years ago. We're talking about the newly, you know, rejuvenated Dwight Howard, and yeah, just having having skills, having a having a, a skilled big man is huge for the success of your team in the NBA. I mean, same thing can go for Miami with Bam Adebayo.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think um, another great point that I really like that you brought up is about Sabonis not necessarily being a post player. He actually is like, I mean, he's a good post player but he's yeah. mostly average in terms of post efficiency and looking at at his scoring rate compared to if you like so if I have it in my notes actually if you just compare it to uh bigs who have played 800 minutes this year Um so that's all like pretty much rotation level guys he was in the 59th percentile so it's like slightly above average as a post-up player And that doesn't right, account right. for the the passes out and the assists that he generates from the post-up but I mean we know he has like his His left hand, incredibly good, but if you can get his left hand taken (laughs) away, he has some issues, which that's something I'm sure he's working on. But yeah, no, I think there's a lot there that I'm excited about. And it kind of leads me to my next thing. And a little bit of an overarching question. Um, What do you think is more likely? uh, TJ, Warren, or Demonis Sabonis as an all-star? What What if that happening next? And I know, just think about it, all right? So if you think about all the, the centers that are potentially going to be um, in the Eastern conference for the next couple of years. And their potential as all-star players. Obviously you have Bam, you have Joel Embiid. Um, I'm blanking on other guys, but they exist. And then, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited. and Mainly this is just the vessel for us talking about the future of those two guys, especially TJ.
0: Yeah. So I, I, other centers in the, in the East, Nikola Vucevic is another yep. name that's, pretty good. I don't know if you he made the He's really good. He I think I don't, he was an all-star I don't think this he, year. Was he? A, was he? It was either this year or him? last year. I don't remember, but I know he's been an all-star recently within the last two years. I mean, he's a really skilled big man who can shoot the three. And I think Sabonis bonus kind of play a little bit like him as well. Uh somebody that he could really mold his game after. But, you know, Marcus Sauls out of the East now more than likely with him going over to Spain. It looks like he's going to return to Spain this year. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, you know, Joel Embiid and Bam mobile or the two big name centers that Sabonis will be competing with. And then of course TJ Warren. I mean, it was interesting because we were talking about this earlier this week because last week Kent Sterling had said something like, Well, Sabonis <laughs> yeah. is your, you know, your fourth or if excuse me, if Warren is your third or fourth best player, then you've got problems. And it's like, Well, I don't necessarily agree with that. But, you know, I mean, I I enjoy hearing different people's opinions because, you know, that's what we're all about. It's yeah. uh just talking basketball. And if you all agree on everything, it's kind of boring. So, uh, but I think Warren can be unlocked in a certain way. Now, he looked really good at the four and he looked really good when he was the primary guy. But is that the best way to win in the NBA with, you know, for the Pacers necessarily? I don't know. I don't know. And it was funny because Dave DeFour actually said that if Dantoni is hired, that TJ Warren's going to be an all star with, uh, with Dantoni as the Pacers head coach. So I think a lot mm-hmm. of it plays into who the new coach is. Yeah. And, and how they run the system, because if it's going to be similar to Nate's offense where Domas is controlling everything, then TJ is going to be an afterthought. But I, I really think that TJ opening up his game, shooting the three a little bit more, getting to the foul line is key for him because we know how great of a player he can be, but he just lacks getting to the free throw line, getting his opponent in foul trouble. And he, he did, needs to be a little bit more consistent from that three point shot. And, Uh, Sabonis, you know, comparing those two, I think really Sabonis probably still has a better chance, in my opinion, of becoming an all star next year. But it just, if TJ Warren's, you know, averaging 25 points a game, it's (laughs) going to be hard to keep him out. It just depends on how many touches and opportunities he gets. And that's why I think we had disagreed on this, but I actually said I would be okay with them staggering TJ's minutes to kind of play with the bench a little bit more. So he doesn't always have the number one defender on him which would give him more opportunities to get in a rhythm. Yeah, no, I actually –
1: I like that idea. I mean, I think um, bench staggering is so important. Um, I mean, we saw, obviously, with how how Domas' minutes worked with the bench. I mean, obviously, Domas was incredible for the starting lineup, but he was always the first man out to go and and be ready to come in with the bench. And the bench was like, in my opinion, I think – the bench is what took this team from being a six seed to being a, a false four seed ultimately. But it, you, you yeah, get my yeah. point. I mean, the bench unit was what made this team really run this year. Um, yeah. I think that was probably the best lineup that this team had. And I think also you look at that too. And what, what Domas with four shooters, or you can really say three because TJ McConnell is never shooting from three, <laughs> but I mean, you get the point. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, and, and looking at TJ, uh, TJ Warren, I should say, gosh, there's too many TJs and we don't have to talk about the third one. So it's fine. Um, but with TJ Warren, I mean, I'm excited uh, just because you look at what he did again, like you mentioned as the four, but then that also brings into question for me, because like you talk about like having Robert Covington and this is something I like, I didn't, I wasn't able to answer this question myself in, in my article, um, but I wonder what decisions you make with the roster moving forward in terms of that, because I think. TJ pretty clearly demonstrated that he is better offensively at the four. And I think he could actually yeah. be better defensively too. And largely your matchups can, it doesn't necessarily matter where you're at um, offensively for your defensive matchups. And as we saw, I mean, TJ took some of the hardest defensive matchups for the team this year. Um, yeah, But I think that does bring into questions because if you have a guy like Robert Covington on the floor, he's going to be defended like he's the four and TJ is going to be defended like he's the three. So you'd have to have another wing player, Next to TJ, who has to be a, like not, you know, the same level of threat, but you get what I'm saying. Um, there has to be another guy who can take someone off the dribble and, and shoot from three as well in order to, to, to force TJ to still be guarded by force. Um, so I think that's I mean, that's that's another thing that kind of comes into my mind. I wonder um, how you're able to even balance the defense and offense together while still getting the most that you want.
0: Yeah, that's a great that's a great point you bring up. And it's it's kind of hard to figure out because I feel like if you looked at those Pacers roster from top to bottom, they lacked a power forward all year long. I yep. mean, we argued that you know Sabonis and Turner are both centers, so they were mis you know, misplaced and miscast playing that four. And you got rid of Thad Young, who was such a staple of the team the, you know, previous three years before that at that power four position. And so it really, because of the injuries, it caused TJ to play that four. And really, I mean, Justin Holiday was the best power forward for the Pacers for the majority of the season, and, and that's not even his primary position. So, really, they were kind of trying to, you know, fill that void there with that power forward position. And so it's like, well, can T.J. Can Warren really dominate in that four position? It's like, yeah, I think that there's opportunities for him too on the offensive end. Defensively, they're like, I'm looking at this NBA Finals right now, and you can just tell how undersized Miami is going up against the Lakers because – even if T.J. Warren was able to guard Anthony Davis, I know that he had a really great game against the Lakers in the bubble. That was, you know, regular season, didn't really matter. But with Anthony Davis on his A game, how much more dominant? And I don't really think, you know, uh, the other power forward in the NBA for the Eastern Conference, that is Giannis Antetokounmpo, I don't trust yeah. T.J. Warren guarding him at all. So- I don't trust anyone on the roster guarding. <laughs> that's that's where no, we're at. I mean, that's not, I mean, Miles that's not a slight to the guys. I mean, just – Giannis is just an incredible man. I mean, even as good as Miles did on him, challenging some shots, blocking some shots at the rim, it's just he's got that grown man strength that nobody on the Pacers really has besides Sabonis when it comes to strength. But Sabonis isn't quick enough and, and you know athletic enough to guard somebody like that. So I think the Pacers really need to go out there and find themselves a true defender. And whether that means TJ has got to play the three or the four, that to me doesn't really matter at this point because – I think you can, like I said, stagger where TJ does get some more minutes at the four off the bench or with the bench unit or whatever. If they bring Covington out early and then bring in a bench guy in and then slide TJ down to the four halfway through, I just think you need a little bit better defenders um, out there for the Pacers, in my opinion, just because I don't think TJ is a a decent on-ball defender. He's okay in the post, I would say, going up against guys his own size, but still – As far as, you know, helping out in the rim protection, being able to switch everything, I don't think he's there yet. You know, this is the first year that I've really seen him as a developed defensive player. So um, I think the sky's the limit, though, for T.J. Warren. It's really hard to be negative about him. I just think that when it comes down to it, is he best as a scorer? Is he best as a defender? I mean, I think he's good at both. I don't think he's great at either. Um, You know, he's a really good scorer, but he's got to be more diverse. And I know people will probably agree with that, but they probably say he is a pretty great scorer just because of how many crazy shots he makes. But I just want to see him open up that three point game. But defensively, Mark, I just, I don't know. I, I just, you know, I I would be okay with him at the four if they got the right pieces to, to go alongside him. But like you said, it's going to be difficult depending on what they trade Turner and or Oladipo or whoever for.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a, uh a good problem to have because you have a great player. You just got to figure out where to put him. And again, it's, it's one of those things that, that makes me kind of glad to not be Kevin Pritchard. I'm sure he's going to be running through the ringer uh, every single day until the off season's over. And even when the off season's over, man. Um, But so that leads me into my next couple questions. So you brought up one for me right away. And this is a guy we've talked about before. And we just mentioned Robert Covington. If, So supposing that is the same trade package, uh, Robert Covington or Aaron Gordon, who do you think moves the needle more uh, for the Pacers and who would you rather see on the team?
0: Well, I think that the upside, you know, is probably higher for Aaron Gordon just because, you know, defensively he's got a lot lot to work with. And I think he's someone that's super athletic enough that could hang with a Giannis-type player. And offensively his three-point shot has been atrocious. I mean, I think he's like an average 30% three-point shooter and yeah so, and it, his his shot has
1: you know risen and dipped so many times like he shot yeah. 34 35 percent one year and then the next year he shot like 29 percent and this year it was largely pretty um I think it was like 31 percent this year yeah, yeah he shot 30.8 percent and his career yeah. high was 35 last year so it's uh definitely asking for a lot yeah
0: <laughs> yeah it's inconsistent and I know Caitlin's been on your pod a lot talking about how the, how him and Sabonis don't really make a lot of sense together. So, you know, I, I know that I've been a little bit high on Aaron Gordon. I think a lot of it was generated from Zach Lowe talking about how good he thinks Aaron Gordon would be on the warriors with Mm -hmm. their defensive scheme and stuff like that. So it's just like, you know, I I think of Aaron Gordon as more than just a guy that's been robbed of winning a couple stand-up dunk contest. I just think of him. Yeah. I mean, I just think of him as an athletic player The Pacers really, they lack a lot of athleticism. I mean, if you look at their roster, they don't have an athletic freak on their team. And, you know, that's why somebody like Aaron Gordon is intriguing for that reason alone. Now, he's been a bit of a disappointment. He's been underwhelming his entire career. And can the Pacers change that? Maybe. I mean, they've done a good job with developing players. They've got a lot of most improved players. You know, Jalen Rose, Danny Granger, Paul George, I believe, was one, uh, Victor Oladipo. So they've definitely been able to groom players and get them to overachieve or maybe just find their, find who they are as a player. But Robert Covington, I think he makes more sense for as a, a fit right now because of his defensive abilities, his ability to shoot the three-point shot, somebody that doesn't need the ball in his hands. And, you know, I just don't know where he's going to get those looks unless it's a bonus creating with this current roster, because that's one thing I didn't say with TJ Warren either. He's got to be a better passer. He's got to be a better facilitator in my opinion. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's got to get more guys involved because, he, you know, a lot of times it's just one-on-one with TJ. And he's he's going to shoot the ball most of the time. And that's not a bad thing because he hits a lot of them. But a lot of times he's not – he doesn't have the right vision, especially we saw with Miami they were double-teaming him. He didn't have a great job of – he didn't have a great vision of getting that ball out to the open guy. It was kind of like a soft pass to the next open guy and it didn't really make Miami pay for, you know, leaving somebody open.
1: Yeah, so. he's uh, he's really good at making, uh, or not really good. He's he's fine at making like the simple pass out, but making the p- the pass that's actually to make somebody pay he's yes. not good at yet. Yes. And I think that's something I'm hoping that the coaching staff wants him to work on, or the front office whenever they do exit interviews, they talk with him about that because so I think yeah, uh, his handle too. Because I think it's interesting because before I really watched TJ this year, um, you know, just from Phoenix, I thought of him more as a one on one guy who who could go out and get his own shot, and that's really not his game. He's so much more of a guy who's – okay, obviously don't take it out of context, but he's similar to Reggie Miller in a guy who uses screens and uses others to get his own shot. He's not really quite crafty enough with the ball to to make things happen on his own. He can once he gets the ball in his spot, but as a guy who's going to just face you up on the perimeter and take you to the basket, that's not his game. And I think that's where I think you could really see improvement with him on his ball handling. I think there were – uh some signs of improvement in his ball handling that that showed up in the bubble obviously in in his uh his power outage, whatever you wanna call it, just total obliteration <laughs> yeah, ab- yeah. of uh NBA defenses. Um, but I yeah, I agree. I think he definitely needs to improve as a passer and just having more guys who can be adequate passers is is immense. Um yeah. And then going back so, to the oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was
0: gonna ask you, what what do you think? I know you're not the biggest Aaron Gordon fan. No, I know so, all more- right.
1: That's it's So, I, so tell I'm me. an Aaron Gordon fan. I really enjoy Aaron Gordon. I think he is maybe one of the most misused guys in the NBA or underutilized guys in the NBA. I think what
0: is Orlando doing with their team? Because I know you cover the, more than just the paces. You watch a lot of NBA basketball. Yeah. You did an entire article on Aaron Gordon. Actually, I remember that. So just at, why has Orlando not been able to develop their young guys? I mean, I know Jonathan Isaac has been pretty good, but everybody else, Mo Bamba, Markel Fultz, Aaron Gordon, it seems like they've just been kind of disappointments. In Orlando,
1: <laughs> I think a lot of it has been the regime regime changes. Um, yeah, poor signings like signing Alfarooq Aminu this year for like the th- <laughs> I think they did a three year, $21 million dealer. It was 24. I, those just, it, it's, I, I get that you have to spend your money in free agency, but that kind of stuff just makes no sense. Like, I get that you want a talent on your roster. So, making the move for Markel Fultz, I think that was great by the Magic, but then you go out and, and again, you make that move for. Al Aminu, they already have like six guys who are playing in that position, um, so it just doesn't make sense. And I think you look at Aaron Gordon, the a lot of the issues he has really bad tunnel vision. I'll be completely honest; he has some of the worst tunnel vision in the NBA in terms of when he gets the ball in his hands, he's like, okay, I'm going to make a play, and sometimes he should not be doing that. Like he'll take uh, can one of his favorite things is to take a 12 foot fadeaway off his back foot that should has no right to be taken ever. And he'll yeah. do it with two guys on him. He'll do it with nobody on him. He'll do it with the entire team right in front of him. Um, but, I mean, he does have good floor vision as a passer when he gets the ball in a spots. But the problem is he gets the ball in the very similar spots to Sabonis. Um, he likes operating out of the high post and from the top of the key. And he helped the Magic have a top, the top-rated offense from February until the hiatus because of that. Um, he's incredible as a roller at the rim, but he never gets used as a roller because he's used more as a kind of on-ball presence. He doesn't get used as a screener a lot. So I think that's one of the things I look at. Maybe the Pacers could get him to do that, but it would it would take a lot of buying into a new role. And yeah. I, I put in that article too, I put in a bunch of clips. He's maybe um, in the half court, one of the best defenders of Giannis in the league. Um, mm-hmm. He's held him below his average on, on post-ups. And Giannis isn't a great post player, but you see most guys who are a little bit smaller and trying to defend Giannis get totally just obliterated in the paint. And Aaron Gordon, if he's defending properly, like he's capable, if he doesn't foul him and he's a, he's strong enough to stick with him. So I think I agree with you. I think he has the athleticism and some of the intangibles that that could make him a really good fit next to Domas. But I do question the shot because um, I, I have to dive into how a shot looks more. But he takes some errant shots sometimes just because of. Orlando's offense and not having—if like, you think the Pacers' floor spacing was bad this year, Orlando's floor spacing was somehow even worse. Um, and Steve Clifford, exactly. Well, Steve Clifford is good, but their roster is just—it's—it's it's, just it's bad. It's an amalgamation of, of crap.
0: It's—it's it's um, the most random roster in the NBA, I think, as yeah. far as the pieces. It, they don't make any sense. Exactly. I think that's the best way to look at it. Like I—I don't—I don't think you can put
1: anything on Clifford, um, but. It's just a confusing roster, but I, I I like Aaron Gordon. I like what he brings, but I, again, I just I'm I think especially how we've seen things go in the postseason. We've seen a couple teams that had a uh, like three and a half four spacers, which is how it would be if you had Aaron Gordon, and unless you know Delmas has a three point shooting revelation, right? Um, <laughs> you look at it and there's there would be like kind of three and a half spacers because occasionally you're going to have to defend Aaron Gordon. Like you don't want him taking a wide open shot, but at the same time, I think you look at it. If they get to the playoffs and decide, okay, Aaron Gordon's the guy who's who's going to shoot for them. Do you trust Aaron Gordon to take to to be treated like Lugan's Dort? You know, yeah. Um, no. So I think that's something that, that you have to think about. And Covington is, I guess, the safer bet. You know, because yeah. you know he's going to hit a you know league average at really high volume on threes and play all defense level defense. Um, so I don't know, but I do think I think there's merits to both. But I think ultimately, I probably would go with Aaron Gordon just because. Of the potential, and some people will call me crazy and say, "Well, it hasn't worked out in Orlando." And I'd also say, "Well, he's had like you know four different head coaches, terrible roster. He's playing the three when he should be playing the four, like all this stuff." So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think I would sell high on 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 athleticism and and his his intangibles.
0: Well, and it's and it's been rumored already that he is on the on the trading block again. The Pacers were going to sign him if they in that summer they had actually been rumored to wanting to go after him. So I think that that connection is always going to be there for Pacers fans because they remember that rumor that the Pacers had intrigue in uh, in Aaron Gordon. And like you said, I mean, he kind of gives off a little bit of the T.J. Warren vibes in a sense of in a bad situation. And it's not necessarily like they're the same player, but, you know, could they kind of get in each other's way a little bit? I think there's a little bit of that as well. And I know it's probably being overstated, but, I, I think that if you brought Aaron Gordon in and you're worried about him playing a bunch of minutes with Sabonis, you could kind of do what they did with him and Turner this year and stagger those minutes. And it doesn't necessarily mean that he has to play the five, but I just think that if he comes in you know, for the first six minutes and then goes to the bench and then comes back in with the second unit, you know, that would allow him to do more of those things that you said he's really good at, which is running that offense at the top of the key. So I, I just think Aaron Gordon's a special player. I just think that he's got to get unlocked. He's one of those guys that he's got all the the tools to be a really good basketball player. He just needs to be unlocked and be put in the right situation. And, you know, it's not a knock on Orlando. I mean, I, I, I teased Steve Clifford stands out there because I don't think he's a great offensive mind. I think he's really good defensively, but their offense to me under Steve Clifford has a little bit of limitations. I think we saw the same thing in Charlotte when he was there It was a lot of Kimba centric. So, um, Really. I, I like Aaron Gordon. I'm probably bigger on Gordon than most just because I think he's got so many tools and so much potential to, to be a special player, but I don't know if he would be that in Indiana. I just know that I would like to see it Yeah, because the Pacers need a special player because they lack that athleticism and that, that special player type of person. Yeah, exactly. And so,
1: Launching into a second one of these, because obviously, as as we know, I think there's going to definitely be more than one move. Um, oh, yeah. So another one, would you rather, again, presuming it's the same trade package, uh, Buddy Healed or Drew Holiday?
0: I think Drew is the better player here. Yeah. But Drew is four years older. So you kind of have to put that in perspective. Drew's got two years left on his deal. Buddy Heald's got four. So all that, I think, does make a difference. Um, Drew Holiday is a much better defender than Buddy Hill, but Buddy Hill's a much better shooter. And it just depends on where you put him. I mean, if I'm looking at just straight-up player, I would say Drew Holiday. Uh, Makes more sense for the pacers and how they've played and how their defense looks. But there is a lot of intrigue in Buddy Hill. It's funny, I I put a poll out yesterday and said if you could pick one of these four guys, you know, it was uh, Gordon Hayward, Drew Holiday, Karis Levert, and Buddy Hill, who would you want? And it was really close. It was 32% for Buddy Heald and 30% for Karis LeVert. So, and then I think Drew Holiday was at like 27 or 28. And then Gordon was like the remaining 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was interesting just because I'm just curious to see what people think, but Buddy Heald's not been happy with Sacramento. So he wants out. I think he might be more affordable to get. And I think that, you know, we saw George Carl come out and, you know, Basically, put out a thing to Denver. Hey, go out and get Drew Holiday to be a third star. There's been speculation that hey, maybe the the Nets could offer Karis LeVert for Drew Holiday, and I think that that makes more sense. So, I think the more uh, obtainable guy is is Buddy Heal. but the guy that I like overall better, just because of his defense and you know his veteran presence, I would go with Drew Holiday.
1: I agree. Unite the holidays, man. All three on the same team.
0: And <laughs> yeah. they, if they had
1: a lineup, all three of them together, it would probably work pretty well.
0: They, they could um, play together.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I think with uh, in looking at it, I don't watch Sacramento as closely as I watch some of the other teams just because they were – I started to watch them at the beginning of the season.
0: Um, I hate they Luke were. Walton.
1: Yeah, I I don't like Luke Walton as a person I don't like him at an all. basketball coach. Yeah. So I uh, – Yeah, I didn't – it was pretty disappointing to see how their team went this year after firing Dave Yeager. And I – with Buddy Heald, I like what he brings. Um, He's an incredible shooter. I mean, uh, for me, that was kind of like my – one of my biggest moments in college basketball was watching Buddy Heald's run. Like, I don't know if you remember that run, but his run at Oklahoma was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like. You can talk about Trey Young all you want, but to me, Buddy Heald and what he did at Oklahoma was so much, so much more than that. Um, I know he has like a crazy work ethic. I remember reading up on that from when he was in college and still, I mean, he puts crazy work into his shot um, and it shows. But he's not a good defender. Um, He doesn't have a a lot of great size. And I also think you'd still have the same problem if you bring him in as a Brogdon Heald backcourt because he doesn't have – um, the quickness to hang with, with, with point guards, either smaller guards. Um, so I think, and I also look at Drew Holiday and I just know the kind of person he is, um, which, you know, obviously that, that sometimes factors in too much to how we talk about what kind of player you want to bring in. Cause A, yeah. we don't really know them as, as people, we know them, how they are in the median, uh, general things, but I think Drew Holiday, I mean, the whole, the holidays as a family are just incredible. Um, well, yeah, Drew yeah. is one of the, three best perimeter defenders in the NBA, probably. Yeah, He's yeah. Uh, really pound. good. And that's something that I don't think is just going to go away as he gets older. I know the, the age thing is something that would factor in for me as well. He's not a great shooter. He's a serviceable shooter who you still have to defend. He can do stuff with the ball in his hands. He can run, pick, and roll. So I like that. I, I like the idea of having another guy who you can count on as, as having as a ball handler and, and making things happen, especially he would cover up some of the defensive weaknesses in the backcourt. Um, Oh, yeah. But yeah, I think I would lean Drew
0: holiday as well. Yeah. And I think you make great points. I mean, the the defense is the biggest thing. And, you know, the Pacers are going to have, like we said, if if they're going to get rid of Turner, they're going to have to be able to hold themselves accountable out there on the perimeter for defense. I mean, switching everything can be a little bit lazy. And I don't think the Pacers have enough of a have a good enough one through five like Miami where they can afford to switch everything because you cannot put some bonus on Kimball Walker you cannot put some bonus on Jason Tatum he's gonna get cooked so you're gonna to have to try to find it and find ways to hedge and and fight through screens where he stays on that center and you know just pray that you don't get beat a lot because I know a lot of teams did attack the rim quite a bit I know Kyrie Irving said it two years ago when Turner goes out we see that there's like just this open you know light at the rim so we're, we're we're going right at it yeah but yeah i mean if buddy Hield's going to be a bad def- if he's going to be a defensive liability you know it, it would hurt the pacers uh to to not have that defensive you know presence out there on the perimeter and i think that's where drew holiday just is a, a notch above buddy healed overalls player but like i said i think who's more obtainable i think buddy Hill's more obtainable
1: yeah no that's a good point um it's, I'm not sure. I'm not sure because I think,
0: yeah, it's, it's well, going to be wants out because Buddy yeah. wants out. And there's no like, spec- I mean, it's all just like, oh, the Pelicans could trade Drew Holiday because they're trying to go younger. He's in like two years left in his deal. Turner makes a ton of sense for them next is Zion. And I've actually, I mean, it was last year on a Pacers podcast that we did with uh, when we did our point guard chronicles. We talked about Drew Holiday and we talked with David Grubb from. Uh, the uh, I forget what it's called. The uh, the Pelicans. I forget the uh, the ball. bird rights. I think bird yeah. rights. Yes, I thank you. I knew it was some play on words, but I couldn't remember. And he has his own radio show as well. And he said, "Look," he said, "Turner would be a great fit with Zion." He said, "You know," we, he said, "We would definitely Miami would, or not Miami, New Orleans would love a deal if it was just miles for for Drew Holiday and something that they could figure out. Like we, I think McDermott is the one that like his salary cap matches to make that money work." So that's kind of the deal that he proposed. And I was like, I'd be okay with it. I understand Turner's 23 and Drew's 30. So that is a big difference in age there. But I just think Drew's a better player. And that's no knock on Miles. It's just Drew to me is a better player than Miles Turner. And he's more impactful on both ends of the the ball. So he's not going to be a savior. He's not going to get them to a championship level team. But I think he is going to raise their ceiling uh, compared to a guy like Buddy Heal.
1: Yeah, most definitely. I agree um so last question i want to ask before we get out of here all right um well it's probably gonna end up being a little bit of a longer question but <laughs> looking at you mentioned a little bit earlier on kevin pritchard and how he's done with the organization and we talked about, a little bit about um about drafting and i think one of the things i look at i was looking through it today and, and trying to think through it a lot of people talk about how kp hasn't drafted well and i'm like he hasn't drafted great, but at the same time, I don't really think there have been opportunities for the Pacers to draft great considering where they're drafting at and the state of the team and where it was at and what they needed or, or more of what they could have gotten. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit and, and how we think the Pacers could improve in terms of, of drafting and, and how they run that moving forward.
0: Yeah, so that's a great question. And it's, you know, Kevin Pritchard, he did miss on the T.J. Leaf pick. There's no doubt about it. And I don't I don't care how many times, you know, the front office tries to back him up. It's they missed on it. They whiffed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, T.J. Leaf, if you look at what he did in college, he was actually a pretty good basketball player in college. So to me, it's like he he hasn't really gotten the greatest opportunity in Indiana. Uh, Fans wrote him off really quick. And it didn't help that John Collins was somebody that a lot of fans had interest in went right behind him and he's played really well with Atlanta. And then of course, OG and who you mentioned earlier was drafted like four picks after him. So, you know, I mean, he did a good job with Aaron holiday. He was a 23rd overall pick. That's not a great pick. Um, and, and then with Goga, it's still, you know, to be determined Goga is 18 years old and he had some issues getting over here. Didn't get a chance to play in summer league. So he really, when I look at Goga, I've said this to several people and I'm sure I've said it to you, but He's ne- he always seems like he is just uncomfortable when he's out on the court. It feels like he was trying to prove his worth to the coaching staff and overthought everything. I feel like if they just say, hey, look, you're going to play 10, 15 minutes a game in your role, I think that you would start to see development from him because when yeah. he goes down to the G League, he's unbelievable. And, I mean, we're talking about a guy that can shoot the three, a guy that can block shots. You know, he is kind of a mixture of Sabonis and Turner because he's a pretty good passer as well. He just needs some time to develop. He's he's so young. Big guys take longer to develop. I mean Aaron Holiday, if he would have had a different coach, I think we would have seen him, you know, improve in different areas, a different offense, yeah. a different opportunity because the leash was short with him. I think he was like the 11th Oh one. yeah.
1: Yeah, his uh, his, his minutes his, were so inconsistent in his rookie yeah. year. Yeah.
0: And, and and even this past year, I believe he was the 11th man coming off the bench that first game. It was like Edmund Sumner got the nod before him, and then his brother, and then T.J. McConnell. So it's like McMillan was kind of pulling that leash close. I mean, it took him until I believe it was game four in the first year of his rookie year before they played him in the playoffs and took McDermott out. So, I mean, Aaron Holiday is probably the best of the three. There's no doubt about it. He's six foot tall with a six foot seven wingspan, which is pretty impressive, you know. Yeah. He's, But I don't think he's one of those guys that you can start at the two for an entire season and expect him to be, you know, a lockdown defender. I think he to me personally is best off the bench. I would like to see him get a chance to play that backup point guard position and see how he's improved as a ball handler and not just necessarily being an off-ball guy, which I know a lot of people probably like him better off-ball, but I would like to see him be that point guard because he's too short in my opinion to play off-ball for a majority of the season. So, um, but yeah, I don't I don't think Pritchard's a bad drafter, but I think he has to be diligent when he makes his picks because this year they've only got the 54th pick because they traded their pick to Milwaukee for the Brogdon trade. So when, when it comes down to it, you got to hit, you know, you, they could have had Brandon Clark. They could have had Grant Williams. They were guys they missed on that were established college players. But even before that, a bird was a much worse drafter. Miles Plumley, Solomon. Hill. Don't
1: remind me, man. Oh God. Miles yeah. Plumley.
0: Sean Williams, so it's just like you go all the way back just to see some of the guys he drafted, they didn't pan out. So he's not a bad drafter. He's just you you can't miss when you're in the late picks, and when you see Pascal Siakams and guys like that, you know, go in the late twenties and develop. I think a lot of it has to do with the coaching staff as well. Yeah, I Um, agree. So sorry, not to cut you off. Player, no player development is is key. Pritchard told me personally. Look, mandate is to win with McMillan. So, he didn't play a lot of his rookies. So, that's what it's got to be going forward. If they really want these young guys to pan out and get, you know, pretty good value with those lesser contracts, because these are pretty cheap contracts that late in the draft. If you got talent there, you got to give them a chance to play and prove their worth. Because if not, you're just wasting their time. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's what I look at. And it's
1: not trying to put blame on Nate or Kevin or anyone, because I think it's obviously everything, you know, context is so important to it. Um, But you look at like, I mean, even TJ Leaf, he never really got an opportunity to get a run in the rotation. Uh, And obviously there are reasons for that, but especially looking at at Aaron holiday and you wonder how his development might've gone if he had more of a stable position his rookie year, especially after um, uh, Victor went down. So you, you, you think about all those things. And I mean, I think he played 11 minutes in total in the playoffs in his rookie year. And I get that you want to get out of the first round or at least make it competitive, That team wasn't going to do it. I don't understand why you can't just play Aaron for you know five minutes a game to get him more playoff experience, something like that. You know, so I think that's something that's got to be a priority moving forward, making sure that there is player development in those guys. Because I talked about this with Tony last week. I think Goga getting the minutes that he did in the bubble was huge because he started Mm -hmm. looking like a different player towards the end of that. And I was—I don't want to say I was worried about him, but I was like tentative because he really hadn't gotten much opportunity late in the season. Um, prior to the hiatus. And so I think just getting your guys reps and getting them actual opportunities in real NBA games matters. And that, that, that's got to be a staple moving forward.
0: No, it does. And they have to develop their young guys. I mean, thankfully, Turner was given the opportunity right away because they got rid of Hibbert. and But still, Mahimi was getting a lot more touches and minutes than him when he was the first you know rookie in his first year. I mean, big guys, like I said, they take a while to develop. But I think the next coaching staff has got to do a great job of prioritizing winning without sacrificing development. And, you know, however you want to word that, you know, you gotta you got to develop talent without sacrificing in the win-loss column because if this team, you know, continues to kind of go through the same, you know, and mediocre is, is a bit of a, a jab at them. But if they continue to be a good but not great team, and they keep becoming a first-round exit team, it's going to be frustrating. It's already frustrating now because they've been, besides one year against the Cavs, they've been pretty non-competitive since McMillan took over. And and so I'm, I'm hoping that whoever they bring in can really change that up and really put these guys and maximize their talent, not just in a regular season, but as good enough X's and O's wise to really push them other teams because we know the Eastern Conference is going to get better. Yeah, You know, Boston's not getting any worse. Miami's going to stay pretty good. Toronto, they're kind of in a weird transition year right now with all their free agents. But Milwaukee's got Giannis, and the Nets are adding Kyrie and Durant back to the roster. So it's not going to be easy for the Pacers, but they've got to make sure that they've got the right guys, you know, getting the right amount of minutes to where they can maximize this talent on this roster.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think – I don't know what your perspective is on it, but my opinion, I think we – I should stop saying we, but I mean, in general, people like I, I think that there's a tendency to look at everything in this championship or bust. And I don't think that that's how, how how this team should be looked at, because I think I'm not trying to be a small market apologist. But at the same time, I don't think there's an immediate avenue to this team being a, a finals team. And I think, you know, with time and just I, it's it's easy to say, you know, look at back at the te- at the teams from the '90s that were consistently really good, but never quite the best until they had, you know, one or two breaks. I think that's how I look at it. You build this team to continue being better, to be, a, you know, not a lock, but a, a, having the chance at getting to a conference finals every year, and then you go from there. I think that's you keep doing small, little incremental moves to try and build the team up, um, and and not get stagnant. And I think then maybe you have an opportunity to, to do what the Pacers did in 2000 and, and go on a run. Um, mm-hmm. But I look at that and I think that's, that's where you want to get to because I think that's, that's attainable for this team and the young talent they have. And I think a lot obviously depends on the coaching staff and, and how they uh, handle things this off season in terms of bringing in new talent. But um, I think that's totally doable and and what we should look at. And more, it's just looking at, at progress and, and seeing how the guys are progressing necessarily than, um, whether or not you you get to a, a finals or a conference finals.
0: Right, right, right. And I think that's a great way of looking at it because they got to win with depth. They're not going to win with stars. They don't have stars. And it's not like a top ten player is walking through the door anytime soon. So they've got to maximize their talent with what they have, whether that's drafting, whether that's making trades, whether that's free agent signings where they get, you know, good but not great talent, like a Malcolm Brogdon type player. Because, I mean, Malcolm is a really good player, but he's not, you know, He's not a top twenty player right now in the NBA. So if they can they can build up they can build a, a team that's full of depth where their bench is actually really good in the playoffs and not you know lackluster or non-existent like it has been the last couple of years. You know then that's where they can really benefit. But it's, they just have to they got to find a coach that maximizes the talent. And I, I'm, I'm all I'm all into this coaching search. It's been really fun to monitor. It's taken forever. It feels like. Oh yeah. And I'm not kidding you, dude. Every single day I'm getting messages. What do you think about the coaching search? What's going on now? You think they're going to go to Antonio? What about Dan Craig? What about Becky? (laughs) People just ask me questions and I love it. I love talking about it, but it's like, you know, I don't know. I mean, what you're seeing is what I'm seeing. I mean, I don't have any insight on anything. All All I can say is there's some names out there that have been attached to the Pacers that will really improve this offense. And, you know, really change things up schematically and philosophically differently than what it was with McMillan. So I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about this team going forward. But it just feels so pessimistic because Oladipo has kind of put the team in a bit of an awkward situation. But I think this could be a blessing in disguise. Oladipo wanting out, not really showing how good he can be again. You know, this makes the decision much easier for the organization. where they don't have to say, do we overpay this guy? Hope he can become something. They they have that opportunity now to say, hey, he doesn't want to be here. We're gonna get rid of him, and uh, we'll get somebody in here that wants to be here. Hopefully. So that's that's the only positive that I would say with the Lodipo being the way he's being right now.
1: Yeah, we'll see, man. I uh, I do wonder a little <laughs> bit about if the, his trade market goes down just because he's forcing his well, quote unquote, forcing his way out. We don't have it in writing, so we can't necessarily no. say. No, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> we'll see, man. Regardless, it's gonna be a crazy, crazy offseason. Probably the most active Pacers off season since gosh, it's gonna oh I, I can't remember the last time that a Pacers offseason was going to be this uh this crazy.
0: Yeah, I I can't either. I mean, maybe the Paul George year.
1: Yeah, even then but, I feel like it wasn't quite that hectic. I mean, there was the if you want to include the year when they signed Monte, uh that that year was like there was like a lot of movement in that off season, but not exactly movement that we were uh, all positive about. Um, right. But anyways, Alex, thank you for coming on, man. This was a fun time. Uh, always good to talk.
0: Oh I mean, yeah, anything yeah. Coming
1: up. That's exciting this week or next week that you want people to know about.
0: Yeah. So on, on setting the pace, I'm going to have a podcast. I don't know when you're listening to this. Probably it's probably out Monday. I'm assuming. So yep. you might've already heard the uh, podcast today with Kent Sterling, but if you haven't, that'll be out this week. And then, Tuesday night going into Wednesday, we're going to have a podcast with me and Fachi, We're going to look at some different uh, trade ideas for Miles Turner, and uh, we're going to have Locked On Rockets host come on and talk a little bit about D'Antoni's offense. So I'm, I'm not sure if D'Antoni is going to be that guy for the Pacers, but uh, we're just going to have him on, and we're going to discuss what a D'Antoni offense might look like with the Pacers. And it looks like the Rockets have interest in Miles Turner as well. Uh, so – We'll see what kind of trend it is they can come up with for us for miles and uh, see if any of them make sense. Sounds good, man. I'm looking
1: forward to it. Uh, To everyone listening at home, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe anywhere else you can get our podcasts. Read us over to Any Cornrows and be sure to check out Setting the Pace on, on anywhere else you can get it. Thank you and have a great rest of your day.